Welcome to Taj Tellum. And for our second special episode, what are we going to be telling them? We talk about the second round of Democratic debates, uh, including the Delaney, the right wing of the Democratic Party, the attack on Biden, and the return of the yay. Oh, yeah. And all the second tier candidates who are making waves online. And also, Kamala Harris got served. Boom. Are you ready? <laughs> are you ready to rumble? Welcome to part two of our debate coverage. <laughs> for night two, uh, or the second part of the debate with CNN uh, for the Democratic presidential uh, debate. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, what were your expectations going into this debate? Um, you know what? I, yeah, I didn't really follow up on um, how they were making the format. Mm. Um, so I, I didn't know until the first one. Uh, I and see. I watched it and I, was, I, I knew that there was going to be a lot more contention just because... You know, Harris really uh, won a lot of points for going after Biden. Mm -hmm. No, that's very true. I think, you know, she was overwhelmingly, uh, you know, deemed the winner uh, of the first round of debates. Uh, and so, you know, like anything else, uh, you get the copycat syndrome coming in. So mm -hmm. uh, I think Biden uh, definitely, you know, he, he should uh, he should have come ready uh, to fight. Yeah. But honestly, going into the debates, I was very... Uh, I think the ratings were lower for the second debates than the first one. No, correct, correct. And um, so, yeah, I wasn't as excited about it. I knew, I, I just thought it was going to be more of the same things. But actually, it was somewhat surprising. No, yeah, I think, you know, you definitely saw an evolution uh, of the candidates uh, because I think everyone kind of took the lessons uh, from the first go around. Uh, and definitely, you saw adjustments in the second. And I think for some of the candidates, it was uh, now that they're used to the big, big lights. No, yeah, very true. I, I think definitely, especially the newer candidates like Andrew Yang, uh, Marianne Williamson, uh, I would even, you know, put on like, say, a Tulsi Gabbard uh, in that mix. I think uh, they seemed a lot more uh, prepared uh, this time around. And some were uh, less shrill. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, uh, with uh, Kristen Bell. <laughs> uh, you know, one one change in the format I appreciated was uh, they threatened to penalize people for interrupting. And so I think that kept it a lot more orderly. Um, and they also allowed a, a lot more back and forth. Oh, no, that's true. I, I felt like it was better moderated this time around uh, with, with, with an, uh, you know, definitely an asterisk. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the common criticisms uh, is the uh, use of Republican talking points uh, uh, from the yeah. CNN uh, hosts. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, just to fill in our, our listeners, uh, what, what, are, what are the pundits meaning by when they say the CNN was using Republican talking points? Well, uh, my, my take was that they were trying to uh, there's two sides of it. One is, hey, they're they're using these talking points to kind of split up the party, to oh, really, so. uh, you know, just to talk about especially the healthcare portion mm -hmm. and the way they asked the question was, uh, how is middle income, uh, the middle class expecting a tax, uh, a higher taxes for that, um, and which is a republic Republican talking point, and that's how they go against this. Uh, reform but aren't taxes going to raise so how how is that a republican talking point uh, well they uh, that was the way they combat the uh, health care reform they don't want medicare for all uh, they want smaller government and so that's what the way they would get around it was is to say hey that means your tax dollars is going uh, your taxes are going to go up oh but the taxes are going to go up though no uh well it depends <laughs> depends on who goes in who gets into the into the white house no that's fair i mean you know how i heard how i heard it explained is that uh so you know if the taxes are raising is the republican talking point um 
the democratic talking point is actually your healthcare premiums will go down and disappear. And so the net benefit to most Americans is that they'll be paying less in combined taxes and healthcare premiums. Um, so you so, mean like if in the past I was paying like $6,000 in premiums and $3,000 in deductibles, but my taxes would actually only be $4,000? That's my understanding of it just because, you know, once you remove the profit, um, you know, component of it that the private insurances, uh, private insurance companies are taking from it, uh, then that savings is going to get passed on to the American consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if I, I haven't looked closely at the financial models, but I, have you studied the uh, financial models of these healthcare plans? Uh, well, these healthcare plans, uh, I with these models, you can only take it with a grain of salt. That's no. fair. That's actually, that's very true. Because uh, what actually happens is actually going to be far more complicated. I mean, hey, Trump went in saying that he's going to dismantle Obamacare. And to this day, he still hasn't dismantled it. Yeah, All and, he and, did was defund it. And where's that wall that... Uh... <laughs> oh, well, he's still waiting for Mexico to pay for it. I think we're going to be waiting a long time. <laughs> what? Mexico's not paying for it? Tariff. <laughs> there you go. The peso's taking a beating. <laughs> so what, uh, what did you... Uh, you know, what, what were your uh, thoughts about the uh, debates? Well, so I think it's first helpful to kind of divide it into night one and night two. Um, I think night one... Uh, you can definitely see uh, the split in the party between the progressives and the moderates. I mm-hmm. think that was very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the placement of the candidates, Warren and um, Sanders, center stage, uh, and the rest of the moderates kind of uh, attacking them uh, throughout the debate. Left um, and right, too. No, no, very true. And you know what's interesting is I think the healthcare debate is like the perfect uh, example of that in the sense that I think where candidates stand on healthcare policy is really uh, more showing their tribal affiliation than any kind of actual meaningful uh, policy stance. Uh, And I say that because, you know, uh, end of the day, say Sanders gets uh, elected as president, you know, he still has to contend with a Republican Senate, or even if, say, the Democrats win the Senate, they're not going to win with the supermajority. And so, you know, the actual version of the health care plan is going to be a lot more watered down. And so this is where, you know, it's more of a almost rhetorical exercise of Medicare for all versus public option. But it's almost kind of like what um, Elizabeth Warren said to Hickam, uh, Hick, no Delaney, mm. where she says, "Who, what, you know, what, who runs for president? Uh, talking about what you can't do." Yeah, no, yeah, that was like kind of her big zinger uh, mm-hmm. in this moment, and I think you know <laughs> what's so funny is Delaney is being painted as like the the right wing of the Democratic Party now. He's all right. I, oh yeah, but he—he you know, so is a racist and he's a bigot. Okay, <laughs> he wants to build that wall. <laughs> <laughs> What's so interesting is like you know the public option that was seen as like a far left idea in 2016, and so you know the whole party has moved like incredibly left. No, I mean if you think about it, Obamacare is a public option. Uh, how so? Well, I mean uh, they 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 created the marketplace, mm-hmm. but in certain the whole point of Obamacare was that hey if the health insurance don't live up to the expectations, a public option would be placed in place of it. No, that's true. And I think that's where, you know, we're seeing like Biden kind of carry that torch. <laughs> doesn't want to pass it on. Um, and I think, uh, but... Well, no. if it worked for him, he would carry a torch. <laughs> right? And also, what was, that, uh, what was that California congressman that dropped uh, out of the race? Oh, uh, Eric Swalwell. Like, so yeah, he was planning to pass it and Swalwell dropped out. I mean... <laughs> Drop that torch, man. Drop that torch. <laughs> and instead, we got like Bullock from uh, um, Montana. That took his place. You know, Bullock, uh, he looks like uh, the guy, uh, you know, 
when you FaceTime your parents or your grandparents and you're just always talking to his nose. Uh-huh. What are we doing here? And he's just always, he's he always sounds like he's out of breath too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, but that's actually was his first debate. So yeah. I do think you're yeah. seeing a little bit and probably his last debate. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was getting jumbled up too. <laughs> no, yeah, true. Yeah, I think, you know, he was definitely not used to the big stage, uh, but he was the number one most Google search candidate in his home state of Montana. Uh, so like 500 searches? I, <laughs> well, you know, 460, <laughs> I think it was rounded up. <laughs> uh, but you know who was the number one candidate for the other 49 states? Who? Marianne Williamson. For, for the first night, huh? Oh, yeah, first night. Yeah. I mean, when you were saying you got the moderates attacking uh, the progressives, but then I was going to say, and then there's Marianne Williamson. No, true. <laughs> I mean, you know, for the first debate, obviously, you know, she was the butt of a lot of jokes with the, uh, you know, you know we'll, we'll, we'll fight Trump with love and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Nate Silver, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, his famed um, book, uh, The Signal and the Noise, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> he commented like, yeah, Marianne Williamson seems like she's out of like an SNL uh, sketch of the debate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... During the debates, people I think most of the candidates were looking at her going, why are you still here? <laughs> but, you know, but strangely enough, though, uh, I was watching the debates at a public uh, debate party at the Hammer Museum. And man, in West LA, she has a lot of support. Like she was getting like the, the loudest ovations of almost any other candidate in the first night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know if it was the crowd swaying me at all, but I, I did uh, resonate with some of the points that she was making um, because I think... Um, you know, she kind of, you know, I, number one, I don't think she has any <laughs> snowball's chance. I don't think she knows. Um, she, I think she knows that she doesn't have a chance oh, either. Yeah. And That's I think, why she's just saying whatever she wants. Oh, yeah. And that kind of radical truth telling, I think is very valuable in this discussion. You know, I think especially her clothing remarks and how she was tackling more so the cause of a lot of these problems versus just the symptoms. Uh, case in point, she mentioned the kind of short-term profiteering by the military-industrial complex mm-hmm. that's getting us into these wars. The pharma's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why, you know, she asked the question of, it's not just uh, a issue with healthcare, but why are we as Americans so unhealthy these days? Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, those are important points to make because I think otherwise we can just get lost in like the minutia of policy. Uh, uh, she she was actually posing good questions. Yeah, no, very true. She actually even called out the corruption uh, of uh, corporate donors that affects both parties, Republicans and Democrats. And, you know, got a little tense up there, you know, because she's going after, you know, the people on her team or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, that kind of spirit of self-criticism is necessary uh, because it is uh, an issue that affects both parties. And and just you guys keep in mind, there uh, there's about over 250 people running for president on the Democratic side. And she was one of the top 20 starting from the first debate. So she already has some following. Like uh, she's gained some following from what she was doing. No, definitely. You know, I've been visiting more meditation centers, uh, you know, this year because I, you know, I just recently got into meditation. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed, though, that actually Marianne Williamson has been popular here in uh, West LA for like a long time. Like she's, she, I think she regularly gives like talks, you know, here on the West Side. Uh, and so I you have got to invite me next time. You know, next she's time she's here, I'll, you know, you, yeah. I'll, I'll extend the invite. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like she's regularly kind of criticized as being a little like woo woo, you know. But mm-hmm. I think you know, at the end of the day, you know, perhaps that's. I mean, maybe not. We don't want that in our president, but I think it's a valuable voice to have. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, it's interesting the effect she has. It's like um, she does have that radical truth telling, but at the same time, you kind of cringe every time she comes on. But then, then you go, oh, wow, well, that was actually very thoughtful. <laughs> 
You know, true, because she's speaking from the heart. And I think, you know, <laughs> there was this really funny moment after her closing remarks and it panned to like Delaney and he has to do his. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> he's oh, like, how do I follow that? Dude, Delaney looks like he's always fucking lost, dude. Hey, he looks like that one uh, King of the Hill uh, character. Oh, <laughs> You mean the dad, right? Uh, oh, no, no, the dad's friend. Uh, he's actually bald as well. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my friend was my friend uh, who watched it. She's not very political, but she was watching it. She's like, who is that bald guy? He needs to get out of here. <laughs> no, but you know what? what's so funny, though, is like uh, some of his points, though, I, I, I think are valid uh, in terms of, you know, his criticisms of like, the you know, bringing in like kind of the, the realism of the cost of things. So mm -hmm. even his presence, I think, is is a welcome voice in the conversation. I think he's really trying to drive at the centrists in the party, the, the people who are the alt-right of the Democratic Party. But I mean, uh, you know, what he's saying, it does make sense. There are... Uh, you know, uh, there are more pragmatic ways to get to what they want to do. But we all know that with these kind of elections, with politics, you really have to aim for the touchdown, aim for the end zone to just to get to the 30 yard line. No, yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I, I think a lot of this, you know, similar to like to the, what we, the point we made earlier about the healthcare policy, a lot of it is just more so rhetoric to kind of, um, you know, target certain, certain sections of the Democratic Party. And I do think it could actually turn very problematic in the general election. I, I think the perfect issue is the immigration issue, you know, because it's be it's been made into such an emotional topic with, like, these images for, like, kids in cages and things like that. Uh, it's now impossible to have, like, a reasoned debate about it, you know. Um, if you listen to the candidates, no one is saying anything about any kind of border enforcement, you know, you, you get the impression that the Democratic Party is for open borders, mm -hmm. you know, which I would say the vast majority of Americans are not for. And so, but any kind of attempt to say like, well, maybe we should try to control it, then, you know, you, you look like Trump. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think, yes, what, what's happening down at the borders is terrible. It really is. Um, but at the same time, it's, you're, you're, you're swinging all the way to the other side. You know, um, if you listen to the debates, you know, hey, this is just as us regular people watching. And they're always mentioning women and children. Yeah, that's sad. But then what I I see is, hey, you know, there's going to be bad people who's going to take advantage of the decriminalization of this, you know. And I think some of the, I think it was uh, either Hickenlooper or uh, O'Rourke who actually mentioned that, hey, you know, we can just change the the way we treat these people. We can still keep it criminal, but we just don't have to separate them and put them in cages. Very and true. really, the reason why they're put in cages is because Trump um, and Sessions, they purposely defunded that portion of it. They took the money and to, went, to, to went for equipment and, um, you know, more border patrols. So that's why they have so little uh, ways to take care of those people. Um, so it's really a matter of funding. Yeah, it's less an issue of policy and more on how the policy is being executed. And I, I just feel like that nuance is being lost. And that's where it's just become so polarized. It's either open borders or throwing kids in cages. I mean, hey, um, illegal immigration is still illegal. But Kamala Harris or, you know, all the other uh, district attorneys says, hey, no, we are going to make it sanctuary cities. You know, like we're not going to enforce those laws. Um, so you have those options. So it just depends on who's in charge. No, yeah, very true. You know, and so it's something where we need to fix our legal immigration system. You know, all this focus on like uh, undocumented immigrants, I, I think, is just muddying the conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, what's interesting, the majority of the American public support uh, immigration reform for legal immigration. And so there, there's a groundswell of support there. 
And so I, I just feel like there's these parties care more about their own interests than the American people because the Democrats love these images of kids in cages to attack Trump with. <sighs> God. And Trump loves like fueling this native, this kind of furor over immigrants. And so, and you know what? We just, we don't even have to look that far. You know, honestly, there are a bunch of countries out there, Saudi Arabia, which is one of our closest allies to, sad to say, um, even in Taiwan, my brother, he has, uh, he hires an Indonesian nanny. He pays her $800 a month, you know, uh, and she's 24 hours a day, takes care of the kids live in you know 360 days a, a, a year he keeps her passport <laughs> <laughs> if she doesn't listen she pulls out the stick no but you know and honestly she's 31 years old she's been working in taiwan for 10 years and now she's she went back to indonesia she owns two properties she's retired now and she's with her husband now and they're trying to have a kid now at 31 years old, she was able to use $800 a month because she has essentially has no expenses. She, no living expenses because my, my brother feeds her and, um, you know, lives at his place. Um, and she's happy. My brother's happy. Nobody in the, in Taiwan wants to be a caregiver, you know, wants to take care of a kid 24 hours a day. So, you know, you're going to have to hire somebody to do it. So why don't we have work visas? Because all these people who come over here, all they want to do is just work and make money and send the money back home. And all the people here, they just don't want these people to take advantage of the welfare system. And in Taiwan, because they have only work visas, they are only eligible for certain, like, you know, healthcare programs, but they're not eligible for, um, you know, like retirements or any kind of, um, you know, welfare system um, benefits. Because, you know, if they don't work, then, you know, sadly, they just, they, they just get sent back. And I think that's a system that we could look at, you know, because to be honest, Americans don't want to do most of the jobs that these people are doing right now. Yeah, no, very true. You know, I mean, there's not a line of Americans waiting to pick strawberries, you know, <laughs> wash dishes. You know, I'm sorry. That's just not the reality. Mm -hmm. And I think, but at the same time, you know, the people coming to our country, they want to do these jobs. And for them, you know, the wages that those pay, they pay are actually great wages for them. To them, that is, it's a, a phenomenal. Because um, I was talking to an Indian uh, doctor. He said, if you paid somebody $400 a month, you know, an Indian person, that's like about a month of salary, uh, no, a year of salary, I'm sorry, for them over there. Mm -hmm. So it's like, to them, that's a lot of money and they could live very, very frugally here because they're just used to living frugally anyways. What other thoughts did you, uh, wh who did you like from the first night? So first night, you know, definitely I would say uh, Elizabeth Warren, you know, she, she definitely shown. So what was interesting is you can see that uh, two different strategies going on uh, between Sanders uh, and Warren. You know, as we shared, like they were by far, uh, you know, they had the bullseye. Uh, they had the most talking time. Um, but, you know, they each were employing different strategies. So, you know, Sanders, he's more about the idea of like a political revolution. You know, the system's, you know, fucked. You know, like we need to build a new one. And so, you know, he uses in his rhetoric like a lot of storytelling. Like he still told that story about taking, you know, the patients over across the border to Canada to get cheaper insulin. And so, you know, he, he's going a lot more for the gut. 
Uh, Warren, on the other hand, she's a lot more like, hey, we don't need to tear down the system. We don't need a revolution. You know, we just need to improve the system we have through regulation. And so as a result, a lot of her rhetoric's based a lot more on like the policies and the nuance in those policies. And so... And I think that comes from her background, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, she is a policy wonk. You know, she's a Harvard professor, you know, so... And, you know, she helped, uh, you know, start um, uh, agencies at the Consumer Protection Bureau. And so, you know, she's very well-versed in that. Um, Who's to say which strategy is going to work better? But at this point, at least amongst the Democratic (laughs) electorate of white people who read. uh, (laughs) (laughs) White people trying to gain some points. (laughs) It's... uh, it's um it's it's definitely Elizabeth Warren I would say, uh, but I I will say that uh, in the general election at least in my opinion I think Sanders' approach is a lot more from the gut and I think uh, people understand the the simplicity of his message uh, a lot more effectively. Uh, but at least right now in the primaries I would say Elizabeth Warren you know she's definitely ascending. One thing about Elizabeth I think I, I agree with you I think she she definitely did a good job in the first uh, in that in the first night. Um, but the thing is when once. The first word out of her mouth uh, for her opening statement was Donald Trump, you know, and she mentioned him three times in a span of the first 25 seconds of her of her opening statement. And almost every single time she opens her mouth, it was something to do with Donald Trump. Like, I wish she would just say, hey, these are my policies. These are policies that are better. And that's why it's going to beat Donald Trump. It should be an afterthought. No, I mean, I agree. I I think it's like they got this Trump on the brain. And I think, you know, her biggest gaffe is the whole, like, Pocahontas thing that happened. And again, like, yeah, she's got to take her attention away from Donald Trump more upon the issues that people care about, you know, because the news reports on Trump enough. So so we talked about Warren and, uh, you know, any other people that stood out to you? What do you think about Mayor Butt? So... You know, what's interesting is that it, it's he, he seems to uh, become more and more invisible. Um, I think he's caught in no man's land between, like, the progressives and the moderates. Like, he's trying to kind of have his cake and eat it, too, both him and Kamala. And I don't think it's working for either one of them. He's playing the, he's playing the, the age card, but when they question him about your, his age versus um, uh, Sanders' age, he backed off. He did. He said um, it's all about vision. And that just gave, uh, you know, Sanders right, uh, uh, you know, his cue. And he's like, yes, it's about vision. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I have two thoughts on this. So, you know, what's interesting is uh, I was hearing from uh, a friend of mine. He was saying that, you know, when it, he initially really liked Buttigieg's campaign because, <laughs> well, for his own reason, the reason was that Buttigieg actually was one of the first candidates to talk about intergenerational theft. Uh, the idea that the baby boomers have really kind of, uh, you know, mortgaged the future, uh, you know, i.e. our future mm-hmm. uh, as millennials. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, oh, finally, someone's talking about it. But, you know, sure enough, he kind of backed away from that. And I think, one, it could be uh, for donor support. Yes. Or two, maybe he wants to spot the Joe Biden slash Bernie Sanders administration, you know. Uh, and, and so hey, he's still young. Yeah, he's still got right. a long career. He's still young. Uh, he wants to stay in politics. He's not an outsider. Um, yeah, so I think he's like really like jockeying for a I'm pretty spot. sure he wants to get out of South Bend, Indiana. No, yeah, very true. Because it's uh, it's you know turning into you know a disaster for him with the whole like uh, police shooting thing that's been going on. Mm-hmm. So you know I don't think he can really run on that record as well. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I think he knows his goose is cooked. And so he's just like, well, 2024, that's what I'm, that's what I'm <laughs> aiming for. And then, I mean, Williamson kind of called him out on the whole donor thing. True. And so did O'Rourke, I believe. 
No, yeah, very true. Yeah, that guy loves like big corporate money, mm-hmm. you know. So he actually for his uh, position in the polls, like his fundraising numbers are are tremendous. Dude, he is raking it in. I mean, I mean, hey, if you're 37 years old and you see that kind of money, I mean, hey, you're gonna think about what's the next, you know, 42 years or 43 years out of your life. Yeah, I mean, Buttigieg, he's a smart guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I think he, you know, I think he's already succeeded in elevating his national profile by running. Uh, and so, yeah, I think 2024, 2028, I, I think that's where it's set. Yeah, and, and, you know, a lot of these things, it's, uh, you know, Trump at the at the beginning, I don't think he wanted to be president. I think it was just to raise his profile. Oh, yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, close friend of his, like Howard Stern, you know, they've shared that thought. Uh, you know, yeah, I think it's like the dog who chases cars and he doesn't know what, <laughs> what to do when he catches one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, he knows what to do. He's just tariff. Yeah. Tariff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, and just make his uh, daughter into you know our secretary <laughs> of state. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't mind seeing her in pictures, but honestly, the settings that she's been in—it's just—it's ridiculous. Like, why? Why is she talking to the uh, president of the IMF? No, fair. That's mm-hmm. very fair. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah, she she has really no business. <laughs> being a senior advisor yeah, yeah. and so you know I, I think that's just more fuel in the fire to get that guy out of there yeah i'm um, gonna put milo right here and start to uh, do the podcast for me yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh I've lo- i'm gonna lose my job as co-host <laughs> <laughs> right and then um i mean any other people that stood out to you uh, so, you know, it's a, what's fun about watching the debates with an audience is you get like, you know, an immediate sense of like how people are responding to them. So what was so funny, at least in West LA, whenever Ryan was on the screen, people just started <laughs> laughing because <laughs> he just always looked scared. That guy, I mean, he was just getting bodied left. I mean, first, first time was with Tulsi, you know, Taliban was the one who attacked us. No, it's Al Qaeda. And now it's with Sanders. Hey, you don't know that. Yeah, I do because I wrote the damn bill. <laughs> I, I I love Sanders, dude. I really I do, do like that guy because he, you know, he plays that angry grandpa. No, yeah, I love that exchange with Hickenlooper. Where Hickenlooper's like, you just can't throw your hands up in the air. Well, like, well, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I think that's actually why I think Sanders probably stands the best chance against Trump. Uh, it's because he knows how to use humor and his own anger to kind of deflect against Trump. Yep. Um, you know, he, he knows how to get at the gut, you know, uh, especially. And that's why I think Sanders has populist. And also Sanders has this belief. I mean, he to his core, he believes in what he what he believes, you know, like. He really thinks that this, I mean, it is true. It's really rigged against the American people, against normal people. And he really believes that this is his mission to to change the system. And I love the fact that he's been talking the same thing for ages. He was one of the people at the beginning sitting in with the civil rights movement. He was his only arrest record was because he was doing a sit-in with the uh, civil rights movement. I mean, this guy he he is legit. Oh yeah, he voted against uh, the Iraq War. You know, so th- this man has executed good judgment like from the start. And so you know, I think the only hit against him is age. Uh, but hey, look who's in the office right now. Look at Joe Biden. You know, it's not like the alternatives are, are all that young. I mean, even Elizabeth Warren is, is fairly old. Yeah, I think she's a 70. Oh, yeah, she's in her 70s as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. Oh, she looks good, though. 
Yeah, she does. You know, uh, what's so interesting is that, uh, you know, uh, part of our next episode, uh, spoiler alert, is going to be on <laughs> Elizabeth Warren. And I was doing some research, watching older clips of her on like the John Stewart show. And yeah, her image has definitely, uh, you know, she's gotten the right publicist because she used to have this really weird like bob cut. <laughs> it just was, wasn't working. Well, however good her publicist was, I wonder what the publicist was thinking when she saw Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, I mean, they were walking in that elevator and they're going, oh, I like what you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's so funny is that, you know, Klobuchar actually, you know, you know, on paper is probably one of the best like moderate candidates. But just, yeah, her image, man, like I, I think it's it's a combination of a couple things. I think it's one, um, you know, she is trying to be too perfect. She's trying to be a politician too much. So you don't even to this day, you still don't really get a sense of who she is, nope, you know, not at all. Um, and two. You know, at the end of the day, you know, like this is a popularity contest. Like you need that kind of like it factor. Like Obama had it. I mean, Trump unfortunately has it. Sanders has it. Mm -hmm. Klobuchar doesn't have it. Klobuchar, Hickenlooper. Ryan has that Manchurian candidate kind of <laughs> empty look to him. Uh, Delaney also has that Mr. Potato Head look to him. Um, but, you know, uh, Warren has that whole like, man, we're, you know, we're running out of time. You know, get your sweater on. It's cold outside. Hurry up. Yeah, yeah. She seems more like a little like, um, yeah, she has like a nervousness, nervous energy quality to her. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily project strength. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's where someone like a Kamala Harris, uh, I think definitely, uh, you know, has has more stage presence. Uh, yeah, as we shared, Bernie Sanders. Um, yeah, I mean, think about it. If Warren was sitting across the table from Putin, no, oh, true. You know, I, I think that's, you know, that's kind of the sad, that's kind of like the really like sad thing about, you know, just the nature of politics. So much of it is about like perception. And so, you know, as like silly as it is, you know, that's where someone like Oprah Winfrey would win this election. <laughs> no, we need the rock as I, the president. <laughs> sadly, he'll probably win too, you know? I mean, like, gosh, you know, is, is this what it's come to? You know? He just has to look at the camera when they ask the qu stupid question. He just has to raise one eyebrow. <laughs> no, there you go. You know, I mean, Jesse Ventura, you know, uh, you know, won the governorship of Minnesota. So, you know, professional wrestler, you know, like, yeah, they, they, they're perf professional performers. But to give him credit, he ran a great campaign. Jesse Ventura. Yes. He ran a really good campaign. It wasn't because uh, he used that to his advantage. He used the wrestling thing and he let, he, he uh, the, his opponent let his guard down because he thought he was just running against a, a wrestler. No, that's, I mean, you could even say Trump uh, masterfully did that in 2016. Well, I think uh, Hillary shot herself in the foot on that one because yeah, she, she purposely, allegedly, told the, the, the networks to really prop up Trump against the other people. Because she thought she was just going to just plow through him during the debates. And yeah, yeah. yeah, Clinton, uh, known for her good judgment. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about appearances, what about Tulsi in that white? Yeah, I was like, damn, AOC. Dude, step she is. She was just that the white knight in that shining armor, man. She should. She should have right rode in that one in that white horse. <laughs> yeah, she had a nice tan going. I mean, she was she was looking good. Yeah, looking yeah. Good. I mean, she was. I mean, it wasn't like it, it was. She she accented her 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 natural beauty, but also she was just like that made her look solid. No, yeah, very true. If this was a beauty contest, she would have won it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and 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 it takes guts to wear white. I mean, but it is, I hear, a sign of, like, the women, like, suffrage movement. So it's kind of her nod to, like, yes. you know, yes. uh, women's issues. I think uh, I think uh, during Trump's uh, State of the Union, 
all, all the uh, Congress women uh, wore white. Yeah, very true. Yeah, very yeah. true. <laughs> Hillary on the night she thought she was going to win was <laughs> wearing white. There's no, there's no sound effect, but yeah. it was, it would be a wah, wah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, what did you think about uh, before we move on to night two? What did, did did you have anything else to add for night one? You know, I will say this. Um, you know, this is kind of both for night one and night two, but I think you could definitely see it in night one. It's uh, it's idea of um, you know, as I was watching it, I was reminded of like the definition of like charisma. You know, oftentimes charisma is painted as like a characteristic that someone has. Uh, and I don't necessarily see it that way. I see it more so as like what charisma really is, is, is speaking to uh, the heart of what's inside the audience, you know? And I think uh, someone who did that uh, more than anyone else in night one was Marianne Williamson. Yes. You know, uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, American people are frustrated about the corruption. You know, at the end of the day, you know, American people do sense uh, there is this, what Marianne Williamson refers to as a psychic darkness. Uh, in, in our society right now, I mean, we're recording this like, you know, unfortunately, days after like, you know, a couple of some of the worst uh, mass shootings in America. Yeah, uh, Dayton, Ohio, and uh, El Paso, Texas. Oh, very true, and even a few days before that, uh, Gilroy. Know, oh yeah, here in California, and so I, I think it's something where, you know, she is speaking to, you know, the the spiritual emotional state of our country, and, you know, a lot of people like to be very dismissive of her, you know, because of her kind of woo woo language. Uh, but, you know, as one of the roles as, you know, the leader of this country is also our moral, spiritual leader. You know, I think we just got accustomed to not expecting that because, you know, of who's in office right now. Uh, but I think whoever's going to, you know, take his place in 2020, uh, they need to speak to the soul of the American people because mm -hmm. I think everyone senses something is wrong and we want to hear our leaders like uh, address this problem. Mm -hmm. um, what's interesting is like, uh, as I shared, the audience in West LA, very pro Marianne Williamson. Uh, one gentleman in particular, he was this very flamboyant gay man, and he, and he was saying, um, uh, we only have one life, people. <laughs> Swing for the fences or go home. And so he was referring to, you know, supporting Marianne Williamson. Uh, but he was also saying that, you know, she's not afraid of her heart. <laughs> it's a thing in her body. <laughs> and I think, but I do, you know, like, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, he puts it in a very comedic way. But I think he's getting at a fundamental truth of yeah. something where it's just like, if you look at so many of those closing statements, it's so robotic, it's so carefully scripted. And I think the American people, like, we're tired of that. You know, like, I think Clinton losing 2016 uh, was is proof that the American people, it's like, stop lying to us. Like, yep. you know, we know when you're just, like, putting forward this, like, fake, you know, perfect image. Like, give us the truth or mm -hmm. just go home. Yep. And, and I think the polls are showing that. Mm -hmm. Night two. Yeah. Um, then I mean I I, I I you know to our audience uh, we actually recorded a Kamala um, uh, episode and uh, my host my co-host here T he he was spot on he was uh, he educated me about Kamala's history so why don't you guys uh, why don't you fill us in on that one oh yeah you know so spoiler alert um, you know what um, you know looking back at a record um, the big thing that really troubled me. Uh, was her record as attorney general, as uh, district attorney of San Francisco, uh, and especially uh, her willingness to withhold information that would set an innocent man free from death row, but also many other cases of her, you know, for example, keeping an innocent man in jail because he just filed his, uh, you know, paperwork a little late. You know, she is a nasty woman. You know, and I was so glad that someone 
Tulsi Gabbard the took her to White task. Knight. Oh, yeah, I saw, you know, they had a, a live stream of like Twitter feeds and I saw this great tweet where I was like, oh, I didn't know they were cooking food at the bait because Kamala got served. <laughs> <laughs> and you saw Kamala was just, was not prepared for that. I mean, she knows her history. She was not prepared to get hit with that one. And during that debate, she was she was presented with that information. Then she said some bullshit about how she tried to reform the criminal system. Went back to Tulsi. Tulsi gave her the uppercut afterwards about about you know making people making the prisoners work for free, slave labor. And then she just she went back to her. And then she turned and she's like, "Oh, I want to bring the back conversation back to Biden." Yeah, you know, and she was trying to do some clever misdirection, but you know, those those were heavy hits. Those were haymakers that Tulsi was throwing. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it showed that, you know, Kamala Harris, she's all offense, no defense. And the timing of that by Tulsi, it, it, to her knowing that she has this and she was just holding it and that perfect moment when when Jake Tapper went to her and boom, she's like, "Hey, you know, that concerns me." And it should concern all of us, you know, because I think it shows that one, she's a huge hypocrite. You know, like uh, to her point, laughing about smoking marijuana, but putting 1,500 people in jail for that. Yeah, yeah. Like, how dare you? You know, like this isn't like just a policy matter. Like, these are 1,500 people's lives, you know, and I think she gets a huge pass, you know, because she is, you know, has some African-American ancestry, you know, but she is her policies and the way she governs is terrible for the African-American community. Like she's even furthering this, you know, prison industrial complex. And as people who partake. Like, I could have been arrested and been sent to jail under her reign. Well, you know, they don't put guys like you in <laughs> But honestly, hey, then later on, you know, we legalized marijuana. I felt like she could have made a few calls at that point. True. And, and, and at that point, she actually went up even higher. She was a senator. No, yeah, very true. Yeah, she has no desire whatsoever to either apologize or try to make up for, you know, the sins of her past. You know, she, she won't even address it, you know? She, yeah, during the debate, she didn't even address that issue. She didn't even deny it. So keep in mind, guys, if you watch that clip again, she did not deny. And even in any subsequent interviews, she did not deny those allegations. And plus, they're not allegations. They're the truth. No, yeah, um, that's and, fact. And, and uh, we also covered this in, that, in, in the uh, podcast about Kamala Harris. But also... Uh, Tulsi didn't hit her with that whole um, uh, predatory priest issue. That's true. Yeah, she uh, was withholding uh, evidence that would have helped victims of uh, sexual abuse on the part of these scumbag priests, you know. And, you know, she was trying to claim, oh, no, we want to respect uh, the wishes of the victims. But the victim is saying, hey, release that crap. <laughs> you know, like, And that's what's so perplexing, you know, like she is just always on the wrong side, always on the side of power. Well, then, and exactly. She is that kind of person that's hungry for power. You could sense it. She wants to be president. She wants to increase her profile. And she's a fucking lawyer. She's <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, she's willing to do anything or anyone, <laughs> Willie Brown, <laughs> you know, to further her own career. Oh, you know? man. Yeah, that Willie Brown thing. Hey, you know what? That's not a knock on all lawyers. I do have good lawyer friends out there. Yeah. And my sister's a lawyer. Andrew you know? Yang was a, was a corporate lawyer for this five is, miserable yeah, no, months. Fair. But, I mean, honestly, like, hey, you know, you know the law. I mean, you know, I mean, once you get really deep into a, a topic or kind of a subject, you kind of know the inequities of it. 
you know and i think for somebody to become an ag and a da of california like fuck you should have known that this is a fucked up law it, especially if you smoked marijuana in in college like you know how harmless that shit is yeah no fair and that that shows she is not a woman of character you know like whatever is good for kamala kamala does and that's why i, I like that hashtag kamala so fake that's mm-hmm. trending you know because she is um so did you uh what did you think about her response afterwards and her team's response I think she's just trying to run. She's trying to run away from the truth, and she's not going to be able to do it. You know, we live in the age of the internet. All this stuff is very easily accessible. You know, so I just feel like she needs to own it. You yeah, know? and and um, I think the, the post debate interview with Anderson Cooper. <laughs> it's funny. Anderson Cooper made her watch the whole clip again. <laughs> it's like it's like if you got knocked out by the heavyweight, and they made well, you yeah. watch the well, watch well, the. What, what happened here? Uh, <laughs> Did How did you get uppercutted <laughs> that way? Yeah, the, the left hook just <laughs> oh, really sent you down to the canvas. <laughs> I think you lost a tooth right there, buddy. Um, but yeah, and then she, and then what was her response? You know, I didn't watch the post. So her response was, you know what, you know, not to be immodest, but I am a top tier candidate. And it's not surprising that I'm going to get attacked by somebody who is trying, who's polling at zero or 1% to get up higher so they can qualify for the next debate. Uh, AKA the Kamala Harris playbook ah. going after Biden. Hmm. <laughs> oh no, it's not okay when they do it. It's okay when I do it. And also, her team started this whole Russian bot thing. What Russian bot? They kept saying that all the support for Tulsi on this whole topic was just because of the Russian bots. These Russian bots are, uh, um, you know, elevating this issue really high uh taking and a page from the hillary clinton playbook oh, i didn't lose the election it was the russians oh so she is literally right now criticizing or uh, uh, uh allegedly um uh you know accusing tulsi gabbard of being supported by russians and tulsi gabbard is a uh, uh armed forces major right now so she's saying that somebody in the armed forces is actually being compromised. And she's also a congressperson right now. Yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, this is this kind of stuff I hate about the Democratic Party. Like, they don't want to own, like, the, their responsibility. You know, like, they like to peddle in these, like, stupid fucking lies about, like, you know. I mean, Russia had some influence, you know, on our election, like, buying, like, Facebook ads and, like, starting Facebook groups or whatever. But, hey, you know, guess what? You know, like... Kamala, you still put innocent people in jail, and Hillary, you still fucked up. You know, in the running. She your still campaign. didn't deny those allegations. She's still doing it. And and the thing is, what I what I hate is the whole media doesn't press her on it. You know what it is? Is because they are still holding on that she is like the uh, moderate alternative to Biden. So they 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 have a vested interest to keep her in the race. They do, you know, because what's interesting about like CNN is that you know just like how our politicians are bought by their donors, CNN is bought by their advertisers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and so you know you can even see it in the way that they're using the Republican talking points. Um, you know, but also in the way that they're trying to like pit these. Uh, you know, uh, uh, candidates against each other in a way just to muddle uh, the conversation about healthcare. So this is why I feel like for our generation, I don't think this format works anymore. I I, I want to start a movement, and I think it's already a movement. Like if people want Joe Rogan to moderate, they want the long form. They don't want 
10, 20 candidates all at once talking and competing and trying to get two minutes and 58 seconds in. Oh, yeah, true. I mean, like the this format rewards uh, like the quick soundbite. And I think you got a chance to see a lot of candidates uh, uh, change in, in their approach, uh, some more successful than others. You know, I, I think but in some ways, you know, it is what it is. And I think that's where uh, you can almost see uh, this is like a test. You know, if the candidates are able to still get their message across, despite, you know, the limitations of this format, then it shows, yeah, perhaps they're good at prob problem solving in this case. They're good at solving our nation's problems. But at the same time, you you have to really dumb down the ideas and you can't get a lot of right, correct ideas across. So, I mean, okay, if the DNC is so concerned about, or the Democratic Party is so concerned about infighting, this is the worst way to, to set up a debate. This, this, the way CNN actually tried to ask those questions was baiting them. Oh, yeah, very true. I mean, you know, they, they want, uh, I mean, even for their own purposes of like ad revenue uh, and like hits on the internet or whatever, you know, they, they want these kind of really like punchy kind of like exchanges and lines. Uh, and so, you know, all the incentives are backwards. I guess I'm just trying to put lipstick on a pig. I'm saying like it's, <laughs> it's messed up the way it is. But hey, here's the silver lining, you know. And I think that's where, um, you know, I think that you saw a lot more like zingers this time around, you yeah. know, these great one-liners. I think Andrew Yang's opener, I think, was excellent. Uh, I think he finally pulled that, uh, you know, what is the opposite of Donald Trump? You know, but an Asian, Asian man who likes math. Uh, yeah, yeah. He pulled that line out that we saw him uh, I share I love about. that one. I love that one. Um, also, we also saw Gillibrand uh, try to attack Biden on that woman issue. Yeah, I mean, once again, I think Gillibrand, she is a dangerous idiot, you know, like... <laughs> Okay, okay, explain, <laughs> elaborate. Because she, you know, she just constantly uses, like, the worst aspects of identity politics. Like, you know, you would think that the way her rhetoric is, like, as a man, she's going to do shit for, as men, we're gonna, she's going to do shit for us, you know? Like, she's just talking about women this, women this, all through the lens of victimhood, which I think is actually very harmful to women. Because I think if women are constantly painted just as victims, then they're not seen as capable individuals. You know, I think... And they're very capable individuals. They are, they are. And that's why I think, you know... People like Gillibrand, they've ruined the term feminism, you know, because now feminism just looks like bitching and complaining, you know, right? Versus saying, hey, wait a minute, women have something valuable, you know, to add to society, our conversation, et cetera, and we should treat them as equals, you know? But instead it's like, oh, poor women. Oh, won't someone think of the women, you know? And it's very disingenuous because it's just coming as her trying to, you know, use this uh, to virtue signal and to, you know, try to score points and try to look like she's so woke or whatever. Uh, and I think... But I think it's, you know, there's this one exchange I think was classic, uh, dangerous idiot Gillibrand, where she was just like, well, it shouldn't only be the only people of color, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker up there. It's like, bitch, you know, Andrew Yang ain't a person of color. Tulsi Gabbard isn't a person of color. Like, you stupid bitch. And then she know? called herself on white privilege. Like, what? I, I don't understand that. Like, don't, I mean, hey, yes, you do have white privilege, but don't call yourself on a white privilege because you don't know what white privilege looks like. No, exactly. And I think it's something where it's just like, it's just like, it's this virtue signaling. She's trying to score points. And it's just something where it's like, it just degrades the entire conversation. Yeah. And you know, the thing, the whole thing about the article about, hey, Biden, you said that women working is going to deteriorate families. Remember that? You know, she, uh, she actually uh, telegraphed that like a week ago. <laughs> so Biden was ready for it. Biden was like, hey, you you came to me. You went with me to these ceremonies. You were very friendly with me. And all of a sudden you turned just because now you're running for president. 
<laughs> not true. Yeah, and I don't think like what woman really Her campaign was not good. It's not yeah, good. It's like not what woman good really advice. even cares, you know, about what Biden said like years ago? You know, like no one believes that that's indicative of his policy stance today. So like this is like a waste of time. Yeah, you know. So yeah, Gillibrand, I'm I'm, I'm going to be very happy when the fall debates comes, and she's not going to be there. Yeah, she's not going to be there. Um, so uh, I think I think Cory Booker did pretty well that night. Um, he he. <laughs> he had that really good line, you know, you, uh, you're you dipping in the Kool-Aid and you don't even know what the flavor is. Yeah, how long was he sitting on that one? <laughs> oh, gosh, he was waiting for that line, man. <laughs> and he knew it was going to be it was going to be delivered to Biden. <laughs> Not fair. I mean, you know, and I, I think that's where, yeah, the you know, you can tell that the the tack to move to these kind of sound bites, you know, all the candidates are trying. I mean, you know, Gillibrand, to her credit, she had that Clorox line that seemed to hit and things like that. Uh, well, Gillibrand's bought Clorox. They gave her money. I oh. bet. <laughs> the Clorox lobby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Procter and Gamble. <laughs> <laughs> so clean, we cleaned the White House. Yeah, there you go. There you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, uh, so so wh- who else did you felt like that shine that night? Our boy, Andrew Yang. Yang, you know? gang. Yeah, there you go, man. Like, he redeemed himself. It's return of the Yang. Ah, know? return of the Yang. Let Yang speak. There you go. I mean, now, like, actually, you know what's so funny? Everyone had mic problems. <laughs> Dude, and even though that was the case, Yang still spoke the least amount of time of all the candidates. No, that's very true. I mean, that's unfortunate. You know, I think it's going to persist. But, you know, the discrepancy wasn't as wide. You know, I think because of the formatting. Also, I think because... You know, he had, like, some great points. I think the perspectives he gave were, like, really... I mean, even if Yang doesn't end up winning, uh, you know, the... He shifted the po- conversation He shifted over. the conversation. You know, I loved his point about uh, when they were talking about uh, illegal immigration. He was saying this, like, hey, you know, let's stop talking about these damn sob stories. Like, we're just doing a cha- running a charity here. And let's talk about how someone like my dad, an immigrant from Taiwan created 65 patents for American companies like IBM and GE. That's a win for America. Yeah, that's a win for America. It's not like, you know, America gains by increasing, you know, the right kind of legal immigration. And so that's where we should be focusing the conversation. Like, this isn't a, cha- we're not running a charity. Like, mm-hmm. this is a win-win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think he, he had a great point there. He had a great point when it came to healthcare. You know, he's talking about, hey, you know, this is going to be good for American businesses, you know, because number one reason that they don't hire is because uh, they're, they're concerned about the healthcare costs. Mm-hmm. And so I think I just feel like these, you know, no one, everyone <coughs> always likes talking about it from like the sob story of like, oh, these poor people don't have health insurance. It's like, wait a minute. Like, yes, perhaps that's part of the conversation. But let's focus on like how this is going to be a win for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if it's a win-win, it's a no-brainer. Like exactly. people are going to vote for it. Don't say, "Hey, you guys are wrong. You guys are treating these people terribly." Like you know, you demonize the other group. Nobody's going to want to listen to you because they don't think they're demons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like, yeah, like when is guilt and shame ever brought about meaningful change? You know, <laughs> like, I just feel like maybe too many people grew up as like strict dads or something. Yeah, like maybe. That. But um, I think I mean Yang. I mean the way he was just he was laser focused you knew he want he's he came out to fight uh in, in not not against each anybody so uh, he he was laser focused on the issues because the question was you know hey kamala harris's plan was this why is she wrong you know yeah and i think you know this is an example as well where he knew how to steer the conversation back to his his signature issue of universal basic income aka the freedom dividend He's like, hey, you know, to that point about Kamala Harris's plan to help women, he's like, 
Well, you know, guess what? There's a better idea, you know, for that waitress who is being like sexually oh, harassed. Man, that woman in question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's just like, hey, you know, you need to put money in her hands so she can get herself out of that situation. You know, like all this empty rhetoric, meaningless to someone in that position. And I think that's someone where Yang, you know, although he does come from somewhat of a privileged background, I think because of his experience uh, working, uh, starting Venture for America, I would also say his experience being a minority, he knows what it's like, you know, to be on the wrong end of the stick. And he's like, hey, it sucks here. And all that rhetoric, you know, it's well-intentioned, meaningless, you know. And and he also said with this healthcare thing, he says, hey, if we would tie healthcare to work, that's less mobility for people. Hey, if, if I, my healthcare, you know, when he says, when he was running for president, when he told his wife that, his wife's first question was, what are you going to do about health insurance? Yeah, there you go. And, you know, this is coming from a man, and it affects all Americans, because Andrew Yang, he's a millionaire at that point, you know, but it's still an issue. I do health insurance. I can tell you, I have CEOs from Cisco retiring, and they're asking me, what am I going to do with my health insurance? I mean, no, it doesn't matter what your wealth is, because you, if there's insurance, why aren't you getting it? Yeah, and also, it's, it's very complicated, you know, and, and so it's something where, you know, I just feel like, you know, obviously covering, you know, the, the cost issue of who's paying for it, but also, like, simplifying it so the Americans know, you know, what they're getting with their money, you know, because oftentimes with private insurance, like, you don't know what, what's covered, what's not, until it's almost too late. Mm -hmm. And so that's something where, you know, they should be speaking about these issues that actually affect everyday Americans that every Americans care about, you know, rather than all this, like, empty rhetoric. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, like, oh, illegal immigrants, whether they're going to get health insurance. It's like, this is a waste of time in this conversation. And, um, and uh, you know, a lot of people, the criticism is, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Yang is a one-issue one candidate. But my argument is that his, he has one solution for a lot of issues. It's not a one-issue candidate. Inslee is a one-issue candidate. He's always talking about climate change. That's one issue. But he... With the freedom dividend, it's one solution for a lot of issues. You know, it opens up a lot of things for people when you give them money. And money is power. That's what we were fighting for in the fucking uh, debates. Because we're saying there's too much money interest in Washington, D.C. Well, let's take some of those, those money and give it to people. Yeah, I mean, you know what it is? It's just like, I just feel like too many people are operating on this conventional wisdom where it's like, I got a plan for that. So it's like, they want the government to do it, to put the spoon feed them. It's like, no, no, don't give me money that I could as an individual use for my education. Give me an education plan, you know? And it's like, bitch, you know, like, how, you know, the American people aren't that stupid, you know? Like, you give people money, they know where to put it, whether it be in purchasing medication, whether it be in furthering their education, you know, like, once you empower people, they're not idiots. They know how to spend it. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be the handful of idiots who are like, buy the newest iPhone or whatever, you know? And you know what? Fuck hey, it. hey, hey, yo, man. No, no, no. We don't, I mean, you know, we can afford it. But I'm saying, like, if you can't afford it, you know, like, and you're wasting your money on stupid stuff, well, you know what? You've made your bed. Now you sleep in it. You know, do you can't say no, you didn't, no. the government didn't try to help you. I totally understand. And so for those of us, you know, I think that's where the, the role of personal responsibility has to play a role. And that's why I think, like, Andrew Yang's universal basic income uh, is way better than all these thoughts about, what like, reparations, free college, you know, like, all this stuff, like, the, it's just nonsense. You because know? when you put forth a government plan, it's you telling the people what they want. Oh, yeah, and there's, Andrew, needle mm -hmm. there's needless bureaucracy in that, too. You know, how to assess, like, you know, okay, you know, how's it being spent? You know, like, we got to have a bidding process. 
cetera, you need a committee to watch that committee and another committee to watch that committee. Like that's a lot of costs. Yeah, no, very true. And it's also something where it's like, you know, you're also isolating a lot of the American public. Something like Kamala Harris is like boneheaded lift act. It's something where it's like, you know, like 30, like 29% of Americans, uh, you know, uh, you know, the quote unquote upper middle class or in LA, just the middle class, you know, won't benefit at all from it. You know, so like, you know, what's the point of these kind of policies? He did have a gaffe though. Uh, I would say one gaffe. Oh, the climate change. Yeah. His answer to climate change. Explain. You know, so, you know, they're asking uh, the candidates about, you know, their policy on climate change and he had a rather glib response saying like effectively it's too late. Uh, here's some money to run, to run for the higher ground. And, um, you know, as a Yang supporter, I knew where he was coming from in the sense that he, you know, he, of course, is a believer in climate change. And, of course, his administration is going to be, you know, entering into the Paris Climate Accords, blah, 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 blah. You know, like the, the standard, you know, like turnkey, you know, policy that all the candidates have. Um, and no, no, but he also has other policies to go along with that, too. Oh, uh, go on. Well, uh, one of his, he, he looks at the problem at the source. So he's saying that, hey, right now, uh, America is only responsible for 15% of climate change, uh, of, of carbon emission, I'm sorry. So it's it's not uh, logical for us to think that we can have a ch- significant change uh, to climate change just from our efforts. What we need to do is we actually have to export clean energy to countries who are wanting to adopt dirty energy, you know? And he's also looking at nuclear. Now, uh, uh, Obviously, with the Chernobyl uh, uh, show going on at, on HBO, it, it, that's there's going to be a lot of pushback. But you know, if you to- look at the scientific community, and even Southern California Edison, they all admit nuclear is the future. You have to do that. Otherwise, we just don't have enough energy. Otherwise, we're just going to have to keep kowtowing to Saudi Arabia and keep supporting these regime change wars. You know, it's an it, it's a, a question of energy. So he's saying that, hey, now China is leading in green energy and they're they're exporting all their dirty energy to where? South America and Africa. So he's saying, let's get at the problem. Let's stop that from happening first. Those countries, they need energy. Let's get our green energy over to them. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, so, you know, to your point, you know, he does have a very substantive policy. I think he is the one candidate talking about, hey, you know, America is only 15% of, like, global emissions, you know, worldwide. And so, you know, we need to look outward if we really want to address this problem. Uh, I think that, but this is where his gaffe came in. He didn't say that, though, during no, the day. No, he didn't. You know, he, he, didn't. he instead tried to, like, make it swing back to universal basic income, which I understand, you know, from a strategic perspective, you know, you want to take as many opportunities as you can. But I think this is the one time where, uh, you know, he, he showed It's harder to connect that dot. Exactly. Uh, and also, I think if you're going to try to connect it, you can't also just be dismissive, though, of the topic at hand, you know, because, you know, to the, our earlier point talking about, like, you know, women's issues and how he's able to connect universal basic income to it. He was showing how, hey, you know what, how universal basic income actually helps solve this issue. But I think to your point with climate change, universal basic income. It's just wait. It's two huge concepts that you're trying to connect, which is, hey, you get the bootstra- boots off uh, off people's throats stop you know if they are not worried about uh what how to put food on their table they can think about the world at large and the planet at large and they can think about the polar bears i don't give a fuck about polar bears if i can't fucking eat tomorrow no yeah no very true and, and so that that's kind of his comment from the first debate 
Uh, and I just think whoever was doing debate prep for him, I think they dropped the ball when it came to the climate change answer. But, you know, I don't want to focus just on, you know, this one thing that he did wrong. I think overall, though, I think, you know, as even shown by the, the just the swell of support after the debates, I think he did a great job. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Taj Tell. If you like what you heard, go ahead and just smash that subscribe button. Or give us a like, a thumbs up, anything to help. And make sure you turn on the notifications. Five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I don't know what the ratings are. A lot of... Or Google. <laughs>